Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another, and actually, Joe, this is our 11th straight victory edition of the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. I'm Kevin, and as I've already introduced him, he's Joe Smeltzer. Joe, Penn State played UMass yesterday, routed them 63 to nothing. What is your main takeaway from yesterday? My main takeaway, Kevin, is how hard this team plays against vastly inferior competition. We, Jared and I, were both in the press box for a Delaware game. We noticed how Penn State was just relentless. So there was no sluggishness. There was no uh, slow start. It just did exactly what people thought it would do to Delaware. And then UMass, I think it looked even better in the defense, especially. I saw pretty much the same intensity against UMass uh, defensively that I saw against Iowa before the whiteout a few weeks before these guys just, um, it sounds cliche, but they really have the one and zero mentality where the only game that matters is the one they're playing right now. I didn't see any signs of thinking ahead to Ohio state. I didn't see any signs of distraction. I just saw a team playing this game as if it would be their last game, man. The score reflects that 63 nothing. Offense was a little slow. We'll talk about that at the beginning, but eventually, you know, the 63 point total speaks for itself. Uh, but uh, yeah, my main takeaway is that no matter who this team plays, this Penn State team really goes pedal to the metal. And that's why it's one of the best teams in college football. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the perceived slow start. That first drive was moving. Uh, and it was moving until until that unfortunate Harrison Wallace or Trey Wallace fumble. I, that was tiki tack, like watching it. It's like, man, that could be an incomplete pass, but the rolling of the field was a fumble. They stayed with a fumble and really he got two or two and a half, three steps in there. So I I think it was the right call. And if it wasn't for that, um, and I'm not blaming him, I mean, not really his fault. It just kind of happened that way where, you know, it, it was just an unfortunate, you got to give credit fumble that the, UMass forced a fumble and they made a good play on it. So, and they came out firing uh, the first play. I mean, I was on TV um, watching it on my iPad at a bachelor party. So it was really the life of the party on, on yes, on Saturday. Um, but I mean, you guys were there and I'm sure you saw it. Like it seemed like at least two or three routes on the first play were deep. Like Drew Aller was looking downfield, like his head was up and he was looking downfield and it wasn't open. And unlike other people in the media have suggested, he didn't just throw it down there for no damn reason. They were smart about it. They were trying to push the envelope. And, you know, if somebody gets open, they get open. And, you know, they hit Theo Johnson on a long one. I think Tyler Warren had a long one or almost came down with a long one. So, like, they were trying to be more explosive, but the weather really didn't aid them in being explosive. Like, why am I going to throw the ball 45 yards in the air if it's rainy, if I don't have to? If if I can take what they give me and it's a 15, 20 yard completion underneath with some yards after the catch or force it downfield into double coverage with a wet ball. Nah, man. Don't don't throw a pick. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I noticed that the very first play I saw Aller looking deep and there was nothing there. He ended up uh, I think he ended up checking it down, but uh, yeah, you're right. Um, in the, in that condition against that opponent, there's really no reason uh, to be uh chucking it up. Um, we we won't talk too much about Tuesday shenanigans. We can kind of move past that. But uh, yeah, there there was um no real uh motivation uh, to go there. Um, I like what I've seen from Drew Hour as far as 
not kind of falling into the trap of looking for one guy and trying to force it to him. Because uh, Keontra Lambert-Smith is the number one receiver on this team. It's very obvious. We could, um, we're not saying that uh, he is what Chris Godwin was, what Jahan Dotson was, but he is the best receiver on this Penn State's team. And we've seen quarterbacks from uh, the average at all levels of football to Hall of Famers like Ben Roethlisberger when he had Antonio Brown. Sometimes quarterbacks fall in love with a target and they're going to be like, you know, damn it, uh, I'm going to get to this guy. This is my guy. I'm going to throw it to him. Drew Aller doesn't really do that. He kind of surveys the field, uh, sees what he sees, and if he sees something good deep, he'll go there. And if he doesn't, he'll, he won't. He'll either throw it away, uh, try to run for it, um, or throw a safe pass uh, to a check down option. So um, that that's really reflected in the fact that Drew Hours thrown for, I think, 12 touchdowns and no interceptions. Um, that's what you want to see in a young quarterback, uh, just uh, protecting the ball, not doing anything to lose you a football game. And against Ohio State, man, that the difference really could be which team protects the football better. And Penn State's been awesome at that uh, for six games, and they are going to need to be again um, against Ohio State, definitely. Yeah, and what you wanted to see from the offense is clicking on all cylinders. They had the fumble on the first drive. They punted off on the second drive, and then they went seven straight drives with touchdowns, including two drives led by Bo Perbula. Eight, seven, seven, five, eight, four, five plays. Sustained some drives, got some quick drives. The Bo Perbula touchdown, it was back-to-back 30-yard plays. Jared and I will talk about it on Wednesday because that was our bet and it was super complicated. Um, thank me for that one but uh so if it put if that put your mind in a spaghetti noodle uh that's that's my fault but offense needed to clean this thing up make sure that they can do what they need to do show they have some pop and you know we're still waiting for that 20 yard run by singleton or katron out or maybe katron has won this year like we're waiting for that explosion but it was a slow field even umass there i mean they're probably selling out for the run Drew Aller has not shown consistently that he's going to be taking the top off the defense. So defenses are, are kind of stacking the box. You put seven or eight guys in the box against him. You know, he wants to go to KLS. KLS had nine targets yesterday, but they pushed the ball downfield with some tight ends with both Warren and Johnson yesterday. And that's what you want to see, because that's, that's how you're going to open up the run lanes for, for Singleton and Allen is you, you get the run, the linebackers running down the field with them. And then they all, all of a sudden they got to start playing some Tampa two. They got to maybe play some cover three or they just play single high safety and man across the board. And no matter what happens there, you're going to get the running lanes open up. And I think they're setting it up. I, I zero qualms with it, but they can tell that they were listening to the media and everybody else criticizing them for no explosive plays. And they came out and they tried to do it. Were they successful? Maybe not. Is weather play a part there? Yeah, probably. But 63 to nothing. I think I had I had him at like 45 points, and I think Jared had him at like 42 points. We thought the weather would play a big factor. And if you put up 63 points and 45 degrees in rain for two hours of a three-hour game, like you're doing exactly what you need to do. And you went one to know and you stayed healthy, and you're gonna go to Columbus next week. And I think we're gonna go to the second segment. So we'll be right after the short break of the Lashing Out podcast on the Nitty Sports Now Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome 
back to the second segment of the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. He's Joe. I'm Kevin. Joe, we talked about offense in the first in the first segment. You know that means we got to talk some defense in the second segment. You know they may have given up more than the 76 yards they did against Iowa, but I'd argue this this game was almost more dominant against, admittedly, a lesser opponent. Yeah, it was a lesser opponent, but as James Franklin pointed out, uh, this UMass offense could move the ball coming in. I believe they were second in the country in plays of 50 yards or more, 10th in the country in uh, plays of 10 yards or more. I might have those numbers flip, but the point is uh, this UMass team uh, could could do uh, something uh, offensively, at least coming into the Penn State game, but yeah, they didn't face a defense like Penn State's, and I don't know if there is a defense like Penn State's anywhere in college football. I think coming in, we knew this defense would be very good uh, with the talent it had coming back, plus an elite defensive coordinator coming back in Manny Diaz. But I think this unit has exceeded kind of our wildest expectations. Uh, two shutouts for six games uh, could easily have three shutouts um, if Tyler Elston didn't screw up uh, his assignment against Delaware and lead their long touchdown. Uh, but nonetheless, yes, uh, absolute domination, number one in the country in total defense. Um, I can't think of a unit that's been better than Penn State defensively thus far we'll see uh what happens on uh, next week against Ohio State but yeah it's hard to say too much um Adisa Isaac I think had two and a half sacks Sharp Robinson uh had two sacks Kim Miller had two uh and it was just absolute destruction and as I mentioned at the top of our broadcast uh Penn State plays with the same intensity no matter who they're playing I think we've noticed that against Delaware and UMass Northwestern and Illinois, maybe not as much uh, intensity was evident there. But, uh, yeah, Penn State, uh, when it's a Beaver Stadium, at least, uh, they do not play down to their competition. And that makes me feel quite bad for whenever Indiana or Rutgers uh, comes to Happy Valley. But, uh, yeah, hats off to Manny Diaz. uh, Hats off uh, to uh, those 11 and plenty more on uh, this Penn State unit. Uh, It's Absolutely dominant, and I think this is the best uh, defense in college football, and it's going to go down as one of the better uh, defenses in Penn State history, and that's really saying a lot. Yeah, this this is this has to be, if not the best, the second best defense in the country, and I I really don't know who would be better, but I just cover myself off against the critics. I I will say this is probably the best defense in the country. Yesterday. Seven sacks for 40 yards lost and and 14 total tackles for loss. There's no chance for UMass to do anything. Adisa Isaac was all over. The, every every time I looked at my iPad, Adisa Isaac was, was in the backfield disrupting play. And tonight, and Sutton got a half sack in there. Chop was all over the place. And I really do like that they're going to three D ends on the offensive line, because on the defensive line, because what guard – what guards blocking Chapadisa or deny? And the, there's no guard in the country that's doing that one on one inside with their kind of speed. It's and the intensity that Manny Diaz had. I, I, they kept showing him on the sideline. Like if somebody made a mistake, he was ripping them an absolute new one. And I can't remember who it was. Um, came off the field. I, it was when I think UMass's second quarterback came in um Haston 
and one of the DNs didn't seal the edge and Haston went for a first down, like scampered for a first down. That guy came off the field and Manny Diaz absolutely ripped him up one side and down the other. And they're like up 56 to nothing at this point in time. Like you're talking about not stooping down to opponents. Those coaching staff was letting zero mistakes slide. Like, I don't care who you are. I don't care what the score is. I don't care what time in the game it is. Cause you know, there's like four or five minutes left at this point in time. They were, they were, they came into that game expecting a hundred percent excellence. 100% execution, and if anybody slipped up, man, they were going to hear about it. The coaching staff was vicious on the sideline, and the players matched their intensity. Absolutely, and you mentioned the coaching staff. Um, hats off to Manny Diaz, obviously, but hats off to Dion Barnes. Uh, you mentioned the defensive ends. Um, I think, uh, I mean, Vanover and Zariah Fisher would be starting on a lot of college football teams, but they're number four, number four and five, respectively, in the Penn State uh, DN room. And that just speaks to how good Deny Dennis Sutton, uh, I don't know why I'm blanking on Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson, but there we go. But those three guys are just an absolute force, and there's absolutely no reason not to be playing free defensive ends when you have guys that are that good. Um, but Deion Barnes... Uh, granted, coming in and taking over as a position coach, um, it's a lot easier when you have dudes the way Penn State has dudes, uh, whether that's the defensive ends we talked about, whether that's Zane Durant, who I think has had a great season at defensive tackle. Um, but Deion Barnes helped develop these guys before he became a full-time coach, and that's important. He was a graduate assistant. Um, he had a big impact on recruiting. Deny Dennis Sutton was one of the first people Deny Dennis Sutton talked to in his recruitment. Um, had a big impact on Adisa Isaac uh, coming in when Isaac was a sophomore, hadn't really established himself, and then um, helping Isaac out uh, when he lost his 2021 season with an injury. Um, he's Deion Barnes. Uh, I think how the defensive line is playing is a reflection of him, also a reflection of uh, John Scott Jr., too, who was uh, – coaching uh, the defensive line last year and now is with the Detroit Lions who are having uh, quite a season themselves, uh, probably going to win the NFC North. Uh, but yeah, uh, Deion Barnes has been an absolute great addition to Penn State's full-time uh, coaching staff, um, and that should be recognized. And the defensive line in general uh, should be recognized because I don't think there's a better group of uh, defensive ends um, in college football. And I just said I think this is the best unit overall in college football, and the defensive ends really are a massive part of that. Yeah, and I don't know how we've gotten this far into into the show without mentioning him. Daquan Hardy. What yeah. an absolute game. He's going to steal the – excuse me, not steal. Uh, yeah, he is going to steal the punt returner position from Caden Saunders. Caden Saunders, I feel bad for him, man, but he's come into Penn State and really hasn't been able to grab his spot on the roster – and they wanted to try out Daquan Hardy. They were alternating punt returns there uh, during the game. Goes two for three on punt returns for touchdowns. It was an impact player on the back end on defense as well. And then also shout out to uh, Caden Saunders. You know, he's gotten replaced by Kevin Winston and um, Zaki Wheatley. Both of them have come in and really taken the reps away from Keaton Ellis, who's what a fifth or six year senior at this point in time. Like this was this was his job to lose. And other people have come in and taken it from him, but he got on the field yesterday and he had a pick six. I did not see the chop block, 
that they called and I've watched the replay a couple times granted on an iPad, but um, really didn't see it. But obviously the pick six doesn't stand Penn state then goes on and scores a touchdown, but two guys that had absolute days back there and they're not named Johnny Dixon in uh, uh, what's his face. Caitlin King. Yeah. Johnny Dixon, but they're not named Johnny Dixon and Caitlin King. So yeah. Slacking. Sorry about that. Yeah, and you mentioned Caden Ellison. I think Tyler Elson is a guy, at least from what I've seen, that has handled um the that kind of depth chart shuffling uh, pretty well too. Obviously, going back to 2022, uh, he was the guy that won the starting linebacker job uh, over uh, Kobe King. Of course, since uh, Kobe King has absolutely leapfrogged uh, Tyler Elson at that mic position, but um I think Jared pointed out yesterday Elson was in the game when Penn State was up, I think 35 nothing, and he was kind of firing up the crowd and that's a sign of a good uh, team player. And, uh, you know, it would be very easy to kind of come into the game, be like, all right, I'm, I'm playing freaking UMass. It's 35, nothing. And I'm in, but no, he's making the most of his opportunities. And that's a sign of kind of the good leadership uh, that's on uh, Penn state's team. You mentioned Ellis. I think Tyler Elson has been a good character guy up for that uh, defense too. Uh, and this is, I think this is the deepest team uh, James Franklin's had at Penn state. And that could make, Life hard uh, for some people uh, who, um, because when you have a deep team, obviously it's easier to get leapfrogged by people that you were once ahead of uh, on the depth chart. Akeem, that was a good example. Elson, I just talked about. Uh, but yeah, it looks like um, the guys uh, who uh, would justifiably be pissed off about uh, losing that spot, um, maybe they are on the inside, but on the outside at least, uh, they're kind of. Uh, doing whatever they could do in whatever role they have and uh, making this Penn State team better in whatever way they can. Yeah, this this team is dangerous, and the passion that they're playing with this year, we we can talk about the Northwestern game and getting off the bus slow against them. Um, kind of, I don't want to excuse it, but it was just a weird time in the schedule. You got the bye week coming up, you got UMass following that, and then you're you're preparing for Ohio State. So they've had one game where they started slow, but the passion that they showed on Saturday is what you wanted to see from this team. It is a very tight knit group, at least from afar. It looks very tight knit. Defense looks as, I mean, when you're playing like that, it's, it's hard not to be tight knit, right? Like it's, it's gotta be hard not to like, it's gotta be fun to play on that defense. And I'm sure the intensity of Manny Diaz certainly helps. And the offense looks to be just as tight. Um, there's a lot more people in the room. Actually, I don't know. There's a lot that defense is deep, but there's a lot of players on offense who are regularly getting snaps as snaps as a starter versus the defense, which is a little bit more set. There are a couple couple positions that are rotating, but yeah, it's this team is is budding, and uh, the meat and potatoes of the schedule starts on Saturday, and it's it's not quite Tuesday, so I don't think we can start start talking about Ohio State yet. But when we come back from this break, we'll talk about some teams, notably Ohio State, who played yesterday. Uh, when we come back from the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. He's Joe. I'm Kevin. Joe, Penn State was the only team that played yesterday. Michigan, Ohio State. Both handled their opponents. Michigan was at home. Ohio State was on the road at Purdue. Both looked to be rolling. And uh, if you look ahead on Penn State's schedule, 
Ohio State's next week. Yeah, and uh, pretty impressive performance by Ohio State. I know Purdue isn't very good, but Purdue, Ross Ed Stadium has been a death trap uh, for top five teams. And nobody knows that better than Ohio State. Obviously, 2018 is still relatively fresh. 2009, uh, when Terrell Pryor was there, they came in, faced a bad Purdue team and lost. Uh, but yeah, Ohio State uh, could have easily uh, fallen into a bit of a trap looking ahead to next week's game, but that didn't happen. They really pounded Purdue. Uh, Michigan did uh, what Michigan does, and uh, Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt, um had some interesting words uh, as people are continuing to misrepresent uh, what James Franklin said uh, last week. Uh, but overall, yeah, Michigan and Ohio State did what they do. Um, Iowa did what Iowa does, which is not allow very many points, but not score very many points. And the fact that uh, there aren't a lot of teams that are six and one and considered laughing stocks, but Iowa football is different. Um, we could have a whole episode about Iowa football and uh, team fairness, as I like to call it. But uh, yeah, Michigan and Ohio State are both uh, the cream of the crop in the Big Ten right now, but that order could change uh, next Saturday, and it's up to Penn State uh, to see if it can leapfrog Ohio State as the number two team in the Big Ten. But I think Michigan has the conference's number one spot on lock until at least November 11th when it comes to Beaver Stadium. Bro, Iowa had nine first downs yesterday. They scored two touchdowns. They had nine first downs and 237 yards. This is, this is a 60-minute college football game. Granted, Cade McNamara did not play yesterday, but geez Louise, man, what an embarrassment that is. Just that's just an insult to offense. Wisconsin had 332 yards, I believe. So they they actually had some offense. They just put no points up. But elsewhere around the top 25, Georgia beat Vanderbilt rather easily, 30 to 27. Nothing much there. Georgia seems to be like they're catching some stride there, which is scary for the rest of college football. Michigan, we got we've already talked about them. Florida State, Syracuse. Florida State is back with authority with a 41 to 3 win over Syracuse. Game of the week, Oregon, Washington. I that was going on at the same time the Penn State game. So Joe, you probably were not able to watch it, but unfortunately. Penix Jr., I think, won the Heisman against Oregon. That last drive that he had just uh Oregon. Anybody who's at the bachelor party can tell can tell you I told Oregon. I said that Oregon should have punted. They turn over on downs at midfield and they gave Penix Jr. like 52 yards and like a minute and a half. And Penix Jr. went two plays and uh, Washington took the lead. And then uh, there was a missed field goal at the end for Oregon. They, they did, they in fact scored too fast. Um, but Penix Jr., just a gutsy performance at home. Looked like he was like had some sort of abdomen issue going on. So it's good to see him. And then uh were you home in time to watch USC lose? I watched the end of it. Uh, but by that point, I saw that 98-yard touchdown or whatever it was. Uh, but by the time I got uh situated to watch it, uh Caleb had already thrown free interceptions uh in Notre Notre Dame really took care of them, which has got to be frustrating for Notre Dame fans in a way, right? Because uh, you, you know, you lose that game against Ohio State, which should not have been lost. Um, Lay an egg against Louisville, who laid an egg against Pitt Saturday, and then No, Christian VU took that game. Sorry. He did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, But but then 
you know, you go and beat the hell out of USC and you're obviously happy to win, but as a Notre Dame fan, you're going to be thinking, man, this team really should be undefeated and right there in the playoff talk. But instead, they're just hoping to get into a good New Year's Six game, which is nothing to be ashamed about. But this Notre Dame season is going to go down as a case of uh, what might have been. And obviously, Ryan Day taking the chance to beat Notre Dame to yell about an 86-year-old man. But uh, yeah, it's kind of uh, it's inter- it's interesting for Notre Dame fans and what they were feeling um after that win i'm I'm curious as to what the general perception was yeah it's it's got to be uh that offense looks really good against a um not defense right they struggled against ohio state they did nothing against louisville and then they don't they play the the not defense of usc that you know they get to face off against lincoln riley defense and uh looks really good after that alabama Barely holds on against Arkansas. I think that's their seventh straight win or 17th straight win against Arkansas. Uh, Drake May is continuing to impress down in UNC as they beat Miami 41-31. We mentioned it. Christian Veyu gets his first career start, Penn State transfer. Uh, excuse me, his first career start at Pitt. He did start one game. No, he didn't start the game. In, uh, no, he came in the second quarter. Yeah, Drew. Sean Clifford played the first quarter to keep his start streak alive. Um, Oregon State. With Dewey, with DJ Uyungale, uh continuing to roll. The Pac-12 is, people were talking about how impressive this conference was. And uh, they keep playing each other and they keep beating each other. And they keep rotating who wins. So there are not going to be a lot of ranked teams left there. Duke handled you in NC State. And I got to pat myself on the back here, Joe. I called the upset. I didn't think it would be this lopsided. But Arizona over Washington State, 44 to 6. If you've not watched an Arizona game, I think he's a new starter. I watched the game last week that he played. That quarterback, Noah Fafita, that redshirt freshman that they have, that dude is sweet. 300, 342 yards passing. No touchdowns, no picks yesterday, but 300. I mean, you put up 44 points. I don't think you need to throw any touchdowns, but. Redshirt freshman. I don't know if I've ever heard of a guy throwing for above 340 and no touchdowns. That's uh that doesn't happen. No, that's, that's like yeah, it's like that's, out hurts. I don't know if I before the Iowa game, I don't know when was the last time I saw a guy throw for four touchdowns and less than two hundred, but he did it. So wow, yeah, crazy interesting stat line there, but uh my boys over in Kansas, man. They Jalen Daniels has been hurt the last couple of weeks and Mr. Bean, 410 yards, five touchdowns with two picks as they fall to Oklahoma State on the road. Uh, and then Missouri beat Kentucky as I thought they would. I, I, I'm i not sure how Missouri falls out of the rankings with one loss. Um, which I mean, it came last week against a ranked LSU team. But Missouri is one to watch in the SEC. Finally, we get to the top 25. Penn State falls a spot. Washington jumps them. Um, I'm kind of okay with that. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's fine. It's definitely, um, I saw a Facebook comment. It said the curse of scoring 63 points. Obviously, the most famous example is 1994 when Penn State was number one, played a ranked Ohio State team. I think they were like 17, 18, 163 to 14 and fell 
That's right. They fell from number one to number two because Nebraska beat Colorado in like a two-free matchup, and Penn State ended up going undefeated but, but not winning the national championship because that was still in the polls era when um, all the bowl games were scattered out and uh, writers just decided who they liked the best and voted on the national championship, which was ridiculous that that was ever a thing. Uh, but yeah, um, I it, there it's not a problem. I think if Penn State beats Ohio State next week, they'll probably be number two. Um, I would think maybe number three at worst, but they'll definitely be in the top four. There's no doubt about that. And then obviously – uh, if they go undefeated uh, in the regular season and get probably Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, uh, they'll be sitting pretty uh, to the college football playoff. Uh, so, yeah, the rankings, um, I think it makes sense. Obviously, uh, you got to give Washington credit for beating a top 10 team, which Penn State has not done yet. Uh, uh, but, yeah, I think uh, six, seven, five, six, whatever. It's It doesn't really matter. No, you're exactly right. Whether they're six or seven doesn't matter because they 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 have the chance to go to Columbus. It's now a four and a half point game. Oh, sorry, we can't talk about that until Tuesday or Wednesday. Sorry, um, <laughs> Columbus is coming up, but they go into Columbus. Should they win that game, they will be the number three ranked team in the country. There's no question about it. I don't think they have enough. I don't think beating Ohio State on the road in a four-and-a-half-point game is enough to make them jump Michigan just because of how good Michigan has looked, even though they've played nobody. Shout-out Joe Klatt. I want to say so many bad things to you, but I, I hate that we have to listen to Joe Klatt and Gus Johnson on the big noon kickoff, but that's beside the point. But, yes, going to Ohio State, the ranking this week means nothing unless you go up into your show and take care of your business in Columbus on Saturday. And – I forgot to mention that Iowa-Wisconsin matchup, which you just mentioned, is pivotal because that boosts the record of Penn State's Big Ten West schedule, which is the fifth tiebreaker. And if the three big teams, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, all go one-and-one against each other, it comes down to that. Michigan plays neither of them, so that's a little bit tricky. But Penn State would have the edge over Ohio State because oh. Iowa beat Wisconsin. And that's about as far as we're going to go on the Big Ten tiebreak yeah. system because, again, we are down to the fifth one if they all go one and one against each other. Yeah. But and I, does- I, I was I was going to be 10-2 and two at worst. I'm looking at the schedule uh, real quick. Minnesota at home, Northwestern at home after the bye, uh, Rutgers at home, Illinois at home, Nebraska on the road. Uh, maybe they'll lose to Nebraska, but I – not only am I predicting them to win 10 games, I would be very surprised if they don't win 10 games like that. That schedule is about as cake as you can get um, in the Big Ten. Uh, would, so, yeah. Would that be that, the worst offense to win 10 games ever? As a power five, yeah, it's got to be up there as a power five team. Right. I mean, not, not counting the teams that played in lever helmets, obviously, but uh, yeah, it would it would definitely be up there, yeah. In the last like 30 years, I don't know if there's any 10, 10 win teams with the worst offense. Uh, two last things. Who the hell is still voting Florida State number one? Get out. I don't know what you've watched. They're not a number one ranked team in the country. Uh, Washington get, did get two first place votes this week. I think that's justified. They have the best win on the calendar right now. Other, th- My last thing is James Madison. I'm from Virginia. I got to shout him out. Local program up there in Harrisonburg. 
70 votes, they would technically be the 26th ranked team in the country. They won the national championship in F- FCS uh, a couple weeks, a couple years ago. And uh, now they're in FBS and are on the verge of being ranked. So, Joe, you got anything else for us? Oh, yeah. James Madison's got a win over uh, UVA. Uh, nobody else of note on that schedule. Uh, but uh, it's always nice to see uh, the little guy uh, get uh, some uh, traction. And, uh, yeah, I don't I don't really have much else. Um, everything is in Penn State's hands, right? Uh, but what's kind of tricky about where Penn State is is that um, as far as the schedule goes, uh, you're either playing – a playoff caliber team or a team that you're noticeably better than, and there's no in between. I think it was the same case last year when they ended up going 11 and two, but uh, it's not a year where you can impress anybody by beating Michigan state, uh, which has been the case uh, in the past. Uh, You're not uh, uh, the way they beat Iowa was impressive, but Iowa in and of itself is not an impressive football team. Uh, You're not playing um, Wisconsin. Your other big 10 West teams were, Illinois and Northwestern and nothing impressive there. So the Penn State schedule, it's really feast or famine. Even Maryland, it doesn't look like is very good. I don't think a team could lose to Illinois at home and be very good. Uh, so uh, it's the same thing as last year. Uh, you know, obviously we'll talk a lot about uh, big game James in the next week. Uh, can Franklin win the big one? Uh, is the narrative that Franklin can't win the big one fair? Uh, but yeah. Uh, Penn State's in a bit of a tough spot uh, with the schedule being how it is in either it's the half and the have-nots, right? Uh, and that'll make things interesting if Penn State is 11-1 and one, uh, come playoff uh, season. I guess it'd be 12-1 and because it'd have to win the Big Ten title game. Uh, but yeah, it's we'll talk a lot about uh, this week's game. Uh, doesn't need to be said too much how big it is, but we'll say a lot about how big it is too. And yeah. Uh, let's go. We got the meat uh, this Saturday and then the potatoes uh, three weeks later against Michigan. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be real fun. Yeah. Not to talk in hyperbole. They need to go one another this week. This is James Franklin's biggest. This is the biggest game in James Franklin's career. Hands down. And yep. Jer- Jared and I will be back on Thursday morning to preview the matchup against Ohio State. But that's all for this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Like, subscribe, share with your friends, share with your dog. Uh, we will catch you again later. This has been the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nitty Sports Now Network.